may be seated. Thanks to our worship team for that wonderful worship package so we could sing together. Someone uh, saw me with the microphone hanging from my ear a little while ago and said, are you preaching today? And I said, yes. And he said, what are you preaching about? And I said, about 30 minutes. And he said, he said no, no, no. What are you preaching on? I said, I'm preaching on the platform. He said, what's your subject? And I said, well, it's Valentine's Day, so what do you think? And he said, divorce? <laughs> I tell you, you never know what you're going to hear. I did hear about one guy that uh, was in love with his girlfriend, and he texted her on Tuesday, and he said, sweetheart, I would swim the deepest river, I would climb the highest mountain, I would walk the farthest distance, even on my hands and knees, just to be close to you and feel your touch. I'll be over Friday night if it doesn't rain. That's true love, isn't it? Tell we are going to focus on love today, and this will be what used to be a, a pretty uh, common or traditional sermon, a three-point sermon. And if you're one of those people that likes to take notes, this will be easy because the three points all feature the letter S. And the first point of this sermon on love is that the source of love is God himself. The source of love is God himself. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 4, this is love. This is love. Here's the definition of love. Not that we loved God. And I, I love to sing, oh, how I love Jesus, and all those songs about how much I love him, and we must love him. But the truth is, he first loved us. And he didn't just tell us about love, he demonstrated love. He is the source of love. We teach our boys and girls in vacation Bible school and Sunday school from the earliest time that they're learning that three-word part of a verse that says God is love. It's the whole persona of God. It's who He is. It's His very nature. It's His essence. God is love and He is the source of love. God Himself is the source. The only way we know anything about love is because God has extended to us and demonstrated to us His love. And it's demonstrated to us through Christ Jesus through that most familiar verse of all, God loved the world so much that he gave his only son so that we could have eternal life. Now that love is defined in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Most of you are familiar with what we often call the love chapter. And it's interesting when they translated from the Greek into English at the King James Version some 500 years or more ago, the translators didn't just want to translate that word agape as love because love, just like today, was too common. Remember the old song? I probably should have played it. I love pickup trucks and all that other stuff, and I love you too. And so you put all that love in one category. But the truth is, when the translators came to that word agape, it was a unique a different kind of love. It was a divine or heavenly love. It was the kind of love that God has for us. And they didn't want to just call it love, 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 L-U-V, love. No, they called it charity. Well, these days the word charity means something completely different. And so we've gone back to the translation love. 
And here's the definition of love as found in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast or parade itself. Love is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own way and is not easily provoked. Love thinks no evil. Love does not rejoice in iniquity or sin. Love rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. That's the kind of love God has for us. That's the very definition of love. God is the very definition of love because He Himself is the source of love. I have another old song that I'd like to sing for you and with you. It's a great interpretation of the love of God. And many of you know it. You're welcome to sing along or just wait till the chorus and sing. But these are great words. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave His Son to win. His erring child He reconciled and pardoned from His sin. O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. This verse is amazing. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. The amazing love of God, and He Himself is the source of that love. The second point is this, the subject of love is God and others. We've been commanded to love God and to love others. Jesus summarized it when he said in Luke chapter 10, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Some of you remember the context. Jesus was being tested by a teacher of the law. The teacher of the law thought he could pin Jesus down. Really, 
He may have been trying to trick Jesus. We're not sure of his sincerity in asking this question. But he said, Jesus, which is the greatest commandment of them all? Now keep in mind, we have ten commandments, ten commandments as the basis, right? That's the law, the ten commandments. But the, he the Hebrews, the Jews, the Pharisees, and so on, had expanded the law, the Ten Commandments, into the Levitical law, and they had hundreds of laws, rules and regulations that you were to keep if you wanted to be a holy person. And this man wants Jesus to pick the greatest of all the commandments. So surely he puts Jesus on the spot. But Jesus came forth when he said, the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And think about those four areas of human life. The heart is the seat of our emotions. So we're to love God passionately with all of our emotion, with all of our being. We're to love God with our soul. That's the part that lives forever. The, the part that, that, uh, that is immortal. The part that the Lord works on in our lives to make us more like Christ. We're to love Him with all of our strength. That's our physical body, all of our might or strength. And with all of our mind, that's our mental capacity. We're to love God with our whole being. Love the Lord. Jesus was quoting Deuteronomy 6.5, which basically says the same thing. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. That's the greatest commandment. Now, when we think about the Ten Commandments, Jesus didn't just pick one of the ten. He summarized the first four commandments when he said that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. He summarized the first four commandments. Are you brave enough to answer this question? How many of you think if you had a pencil and paper right now and no other resources, you could write down all ten commandments? In any order. I, I wouldn't care if you got them in the order. Could you write down all Ten Commandments? Come on. All right. We need to go to school, don't we? I think Christians knowing the Ten Commandments is just as important as a kid knowing his ABCs. Nod your heads. They won't roll off. We're lazy. We're flabby as Christians. We are. Oh, we go to our little Bible studies. We have our little devotions. We read one page out of the, the devotional book. and We think we've done our deed for the day. How, how often do we go deep into the Word? How often do we memorize His Word? Something as basic, as foundational as the Ten Commandments. Jesus summarized the first four when He said, Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. What are the first four? The first one is no other gods, right? No other gods with a small letter G because there's only one capital letter G, God. There, there may be lots of little gods in all of our lives, but we can put no other gods before Him. So to make that more positive instead of the negative, thou shalt have no other gods before me, we can simply say, put God first. Put God first in every area of your life. In work? Yes. Put God first. Are you asked to do something at work that's unethical? Maybe even immoral? It's not of the truth? Is that job really worth you living that way? 
Oh, Pastor Mike, you don't know how much money I make. Or you don't know the security I have. I know the security that you have when you trust Jesus. It may be that you have to say to your boss, I cannot work here if you're telling me to do that. I can't live that way. I'm not putting any other God before him. Not my work. Not my family, as important as family is. We don't put our family before God. We don't put our church before God. We don't put our hobbies, our activities, our likes and, and preferences. We don't put those things before God. We put God first. Amen. The second commandment says, no idols. Well, we don't have graven images anymore. At least I hope you don't. Now, I've been to some people's houses and they've got figurines of angels and I wonder what they're worshiping. I mean, angels are all right, but angels can't save you. And you don't become an angel when you die, you know that, don't you? <laughs> no other gods and no idols. What is he talking about? We don't have graven images. We don't have idols these days, do we? Could golf clubs be an idol? Could shopping bags be an idol? Could the cell phone be an idol? Could your car be an idol? Could that person be an idol? Something or someone that you let slip out of its rightful place in your priority list and you put it in a place of prominence above and before God? We have to be vigilant, folks, and make sure that nothing comes before Him. The third one is to revere His name. Revere His name. Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You know how I summarize that one? Watch your mouth. You say, Pastor, it doesn't say that. It just says, be careful about how you use God's name. So I try not to put OMG in my text because that means, oh my God. Because that's a flippant use of God's name. Amen. Come on. No one's ever told you that before? Sure they have. Respect and revere God's name. It's just not any old name. We don't take his name in vain. We don't misuse his name. And when it comes to other uses of profanity, other cuss words, when you think about it, just about every cuss word a person can come up with, you say, how do you know, Pastor Mike? Do you cuss? No. Are you around people that cuss? Not that often, but I've heard them all just like you have. Just about every cuss word you can think of and you think about this, either degrades the person that you're speaking to, it degrades a bodily function of the beautiful bodies that God gave us, the, this functioning apparatus, whatever you want to call it, this amazing body that we have. I mean, I went to the heart doctor this week, and I have arrhythmia, and I think, what if my heart just stops? I mean, that's amazing. This body is controlled by one organ. But that one organ sends stuff through the lungs to get oxygen and then through every piece, every extension of my body to keep it alive. Think of this amazing body. But so many of the cuss words we come up with degrade the human body or parts of it or functions of it, right? So we're degrading something that God created to be beautiful. The sex act. That's so often the subject of cuss words. God created sex to be sacred. To be a beautiful gift between 
a couple in their marriage covenant. But we take those things that God created to be beautiful and special and even holy and we degrade them and we use them as insults and profanity to tell someone else, you're a zero, you don't matter, I wish God had never made you. Think about it. Watch your mouth. Amen. The fourth commandment is this one. Honor God's day. Honor God's day. That's been a little more difficult the last 10 or 11 months, hasn't it? Because we haven't been able to come together like we used to. But it's still His day, folks. It's not just any other day. It's the Lord's day. You can call it the Sabbath, but actually the Sabbath was the seventh day of the week. The Lord's day is the first day of the week in which we commemorate the resurrection every Sunday. The Lord's day. We need it, and He deserves it. We need to keep His day holy. And not just give a nod to God, but give Him our devotion and our worship. If not on Sunday because of circumstances or work or other obligations, find a day to have a... I have pastor friends that say, man, I haven't had a day off in six weeks. As if that somehow makes them holy or more spiritual. And I say, you're working for the wrong person. Because God says, take a day off every seven days. Well, I haven't had a vacation in a year and a half. You're working for the wrong person. Our bodies can't function that way. You need time to be renewed and refreshed. And we need to honor His day because He deserves it and we need it. So Jesus summarized those first four commandments with, the, with that answer. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. Don't you think if you love God with your whole being that it'll take care of those first four commandments? And then Jesus said, and the second is very near to that. The second is, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus was quoting Leviticus 19.18. Do we have that up there? Leviticus 19.18. Yes, love your neighbor as yourself. And I love what he adds here in Leviticus. I am the Lord. That's like your mother saying, I am your mother. And I told you to do that. I told you not to do that. I told you to take care of that. I, I am your mother. And if that wasn't enough, she would say, you just wait till your father gets home. And he'll say, and he would say, I am your father. What else? I brought you. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know the rest of it. Yeah. What if the Lord treated us like that? Love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. I brought you into this world and I can take you out. And he really can. Love your neighbor as yourself. How do we do that? By keeping the other six commandments? Or actually, if we really love our neighbor as ourselves, we will keep the other six commandments. It'll almost be automatic. So what's number five? Honor your parents. Honor your parents. Take care of them if they need it. Love them. Respect them. You might not always agree with them, but you have to respect or honor their age and their experience and their love for you that got you to this point in life. Honor your parents. There may be some times when you have to honor your parents because they didn't know any better. They didn't do a very good job. 
and you have to give them a break because maybe they weren't equipped. But honor your parents. The sixth commandment is do not kill. That can be summarized in these words, respect all life. Respect all life. You know, when Jesus talked about the sixth commandment, do not kill, do not murder, he enlarged it, didn't he? He made it even wider. He said, I say to you, if you've had anger to the point that you hate your brother, you've committed murder already. Do not murder. If you love those around you, that would never enter into the picture. To murder someone's reputation? Do not murder. The seventh commandment is do not commit adultery. Do not commit adultery. Yes, that one's still in there. And just because it uses the word adultery, which means breaking your marriage vows, it also includes other forms of sexual immorality. Like what, Pastor Mike? Like any sexual activity outside the covenant of marriage. Do I need to put that one up on the screen for you? Any sexual activity outside the covenant of marriage. That's still true today, folks. That hasn't changed just because people don't want to keep that commandment. That hasn't changed just because engaged couples say, well, we both love the Lord and we love each other. and He knows we're going to be married and it's just a sheet of paper. So, yeah, it's okay if we sleep together before we're married. You ever heard that rationalization? Have you ever made that rationalization? Any form of sexual immorality outside of the marriage covenant is wrong. It's still sin. Do not commit adultery. I need to tell you about my friend Ken. Ken attended our church in Nashville. He's now 66 years old. He was never married until this past December the 4th. All of his life, single. He was married to his students. He had as many as 90 instrumental students. Our son Brandon, that many of you know because he was the worship pastor here several years ago, he took saxophone lessons from Ken. That's how Ken got started coming to our church. He had 90 private instrumental students. They let him go into the, the band room at the different high schools and students could come out of their classes and take lessons from him during the school day. He, great guy. Never married. 66 years old. He found this wonderful Christian woman. Actually, she had been one of his students 15 years ago playing the clarinet. And her husband passed away. Uh, Ken and this lady and her husband used to do social things together. They were all friends. And they started dating after her husband died. Because they're both committed to the Lord, because they're both committed Christians, they made a vow that they were not going to sleep together until they were married. He's been waiting. Well, he probably hit puberty at 12 or 14, right? So he's been waiting more than 50 years for this. He's got a woman that loves him, a woman he's crazy about, he's attracted to. And I met her, she's very attractive. And, and they made this commitment. We won't go to my house without anybody else there. So... We're, we're not alone at my house. We won't go to your house so that we don't have that temptation unless there are other people with us. We will not be in those 
situations alone so we can keep this vow. Now, I'm not saying anybody should necessarily do this, but the first time they kissed was when the preacher said, you may kiss the bride. Now, he had kissed women before. In fact, he was engaged at one time, and he broke the engagement because the woman wasn't on the same page spiritually that he was. And she had been married before, so she knew what kissing was. But they didn't even kiss each other until the preacher gave them permission. Isn't that amazing? That's, that's so unusual in our day and age. But what a testimony of God's power to help us conquer temptation in our lives and to keep ourselves pure and holy before Him. Thou shalt not commit adultery. The Eighth Commandment says, do not steal. And the way I would summarize that is to simply say, if you want something, earn it. Work for it. We don't always have to have instant gratification. Work for it. Pay your dues. Earn your keep. Do not steal. The Ninth Commandment is do not lie. And it's not just talking about bearing false witness in court. It's about being a person of truth. Do not lie. Let your yea be yea and your nay be nay, the Bible says. Yes and no. You know, I'm always a little suspicious of Christians who have to preface their remarks with, well, in all honesty. Or to tell the truth. What? You have to tell me that in advance? I can't just trust that whatever you say is true? You have to prepare me for the truth? Why don't we just be people of truth? Now, there are times when we have to mm, we have to tenderize the truth a little bit, right? Like Pastor Mark always says, grace and truth, the right balance of both. But let's be people of truth. And the final commandment is do not covet. And that's talking about being content with what you have, not being greedy, not trying to keep up with or be like everybody around us and being happy when other people have things even if you don't have those things and when you love others around you as you love yourself it's so much more natural to keep these commandments because the focus is not on me myself and I it's on you it's on others Honor your parents. Do not kill. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not covet. And so when Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, he was summarizing the last six commandments. Now, if you remember, that teacher of the law who was trying to trick Jesus into picking the greatest commandment, he still wasn't satisfied. He was still looking for an out. And so he asked this question, remember? Well, who's my neighbor? Remember? Do I get to pick and choose who my neighbor is so I can love them as I love myself? I mean, you're only talking about people that are like me, aren't you? You're only talking about people at church or people in my family or people that, that aren't different. You're surely you can narrow down who this neighbor is, can't you, Jesus? And Jesus doesn't answer his question directly. Remember what he did? 
he told this story. Toby, a homeless man, a Caucasian in his mid-40s, with ragged clothes and worn-out shoes, was walking to the library to get out of the cold. He needed to use the restroom there at the library, and he wanted to use the computer to look for job openings. A group of high school boys who had just left football practice spotted Toby on the sidewalk and slowed down as they passed him. They began to taunt him, honking the horn, yelling insults, calling him names, and driving dangerously close to bumping him. The homeless man, Toby, continued to walk with his eyes down, looking only at the sidewalk, trying to mind his own business. But the boys continued shouting, and they unnerved him to the point that he made an obscene gesture in the direction of them. That angered them enough that they stopped the car, jumped out, and began to assault Toby. Slapping him, pushing him down, kicking him several times. He cried out in pain, but they just laughed and kicked him a few more times. Then they got back in their car and drove home. Toby lay there in pain, calling out for help. He couldn't even get up. And just moments later, Pastor Mike of the Nazarene Church in town drove past on his way to visit someone at Green Memorial Hospital. He saw what appeared to be a homeless man lying on the sidewalk and thought to himself, look at that guy. He's passed out from drinking all day. What a mess. And drove on. A few minutes later, a mother driving her kids to soccer practice passed Toby. Her daughter said, look, Mom, that man needs help. But the mother replied, no, honey, we can't stop here. It's not a nice neighborhood. We don't know that person, and besides, we'll be late for practice. And she kept driving. Then about 10 minutes later, Ahmad, a Muslim man, was driving home from work. He saw a disheveled heap of a man on the sidewalk trying to pick himself up. He slowed down and realized that the man was in pain and bleeding from his nose, knees, and hands. He pulled over, got his first aid kit out of the trunk, and began to help the homeless man. Toby resisted at first, but Ahmad soothed him with a compassionate voice and assured him that he was there to help. Realizing that Toby would not agree to go to the ER, the Muslim suggested that he could put him up in a motel for the night so he could recover and get a good night's rest. Toby agreed, so he drove to McDonald's and ordered a combo meal at the drive-thru. Then Ahmad drove to the nearby motel. He paid for a night's lodging and helped Toby into the room where he could get cleaned up and rest. Ahmad gave the lady at the desk a $20 bill and asked her to look in on Toby a couple of times during her shift to make sure that he was okay. He made her promise to call 911 for an ambulance if she was worried about Toby's condition getting worse. He gave her his phone number and told her to call if Toby needed more than one night to recover or if there were any other expenses incurred. Now let me ask, who was the neighbor? Now think of the same story, but this time the neighbor's name is Daquan. He's an African-American. Or hear the story again, but this time the neighbor is a Mexican guy named Tomas. You see, when Jesus told this story, his neighbor, the hero of his story, 
was a despised, marginalized, discriminated against, no-count Samaritan. The man who helped and extended mercy and spent his resources was of the ethnicity that made those in the mainstream very uncomfortable. They were suspicious, even afraid of the Samaritans. In Jesus' day, good Jews had nothing to do with Samaritans. No conversation, no fellowship, no business dealings, no contact. But it was the Samaritan, or in our modern day story, the Muslim, the African American, the Mexican, that responded and showed mercy. The writer to the Hebrews said, Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Ever had one of those situations? Monday, I'd been running some errands and I had to come by the church because, no, it was Tuesday. I left my cell phone here on Monday. I actually went like, oh, 20 hours without my smartphone? It was amazing. But you know what I found out? My phone was here at the church and Alexa told me every time someone called my phone. She didn't always know their name, but she told me their phone number. And I, I actually talked to one person through Alexa, but my phone was here. That was, that was really something. So I came by to get my phone on Tuesday, and it was a little, it was close to 4 o'clock, and Cheryl was still, still here. Karen Cummings, our office administrator, was on vacation, and Karen was, uh, Cheryl was holding down the fort, and Lionel was at the doorbell out there. Lionel was an African-American man. I found out later he lives in the, the Xenia Towers over here on Church Street. And he was trying to get in the church. And Cheryl wasn't going to let him in. Because <laughs> she was the only person there. And we don't blame her. Amen. And so, she was as quiet as a mouse and didn't answer the door. But I happened to pull up right as Lionel was trying to figure out where to go next. And he acted like this was a major emergency of his life. That's what I like to say to people who have emergencies at the church doors. Your major emergency is not necessarily our major emergency, but we will help you if we can. So I found out Lionel doesn't drive, he's on disability, and he had let his state ID expire, his official state ID. And he had had several situations where he needed to produce his state ID. And he didn't have the money, but he had all the paperwork, and he didn't have any way to get out to the BMV. And I said, okay. Get, get in the truck with me and we'll drive out to the BMV. Well, first we had Cheryl check and make sure they were open till 5 because it was 4 o'clock already. So we drive out there and I said, now, Lionel, it could be very crowded at this time of day. We might not be able to get in today, but I'll take you back home if that's the case. He said, well, I don't have the $18. And I said, well, we can work on that. He said, well, I'll be glad to pay you back when I get my next check. I said, we'll see. So we get in there and there's no line. It was amazing. At 10 after 4 on a Tuesday, nobody in line at the BMV. We go right in. Lionel gives him all of his information, gets his picture taken. I pay the $10, not $18. He is so grateful. I think in the 45 minutes I spent with Lionel, he said thank you at least 50 times, and I'm not exaggerating. 
I said, Lionel, I'm glad you're appreciative. I've helped a lot of people who never even said one thank you. And you've said it at least 40 or 50 times. You're welcome. I'm glad we could help. I took him back to the towers. He was happy. Gave him my phone number. Maybe we'll see Lionel one of these days. Angels unaware? I don't know. The Bible says that, though. Who knows? When we extend mercy, when we show love, we don't know what kind of impact we're going to have. God told us to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Look at this reading I came across. Love over hate. Love over indifference. Love over ignorance. God deliver us from ignorance. Love over ego. Love over barriers, love over borders, love over and over and over again. Love God and love others. The final point is this, the supremacy of love is indisputable. Love is supreme. There just isn't anything anywhere above love. Let me read this for you. This is good. It won't be on the screen, but I hope you'll listen. When no love says, look, I've had it with you. You've had plenty of chances. Love says, I believe you'll make it. I'll wait. And does without making anybody uncomfortable. When no love says, I sure don't understand what he sees in her. Love says, I'm really glad for you, and means it. When no love says, how could you ever get along without me? Love says, what would I ever do without you? When no love says, what's in it for me? Love says, I'll be glad to share. When no love says, get off my back. Love says, I'll try to understand. When no love says, well, I'm not one bit surprised. That's just what I thought. Love says, let's keep hoping. When no love says, I quit. Love says, never, never, ever. And goes right on believing the best, confident and with fantastic stamina. And it doesn't just talk, this love, it acts. There just isn't anything anywhere above love. When no love says, I could have told them a long time ago that he was no good. Now maybe they'll listen to me for a change. Love says, I wonder what I would have done under similar circumstances. When no love says, it may be true, but it sure is dull. Love says, let's celebrate. Let's hear it for the truth. There just isn't anything anywhere above love. You can't deny it, folks. There are no excuses. You cannot reason it or rationalize it away. You can't say you didn't know or didn't understand. You can't dispute the fact that Jesus said love. Capital L, capital O, capital V, capital E, exclamation point, love. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about what they 
deserve or what I deserve. It's not about the circumstances or our personal opinions. Jesus said love. If you don't like it, take it up with him. Jesus said love. No excuses. Love. You cannot come to his table, the place of communion, the place of brokenness, of humility, the place of kneeling at his feet, eating his body and drinking his blood. You cannot come to this table and reject his commandment to love. Communion is about community. Communion is about sacrifice. Communion is a means of grace by which we draw nearer to God. Communion can even be a time when someone says, Jesus, forgive me for my sins and make me a new creation. I want to be a Christian. I come to you in this act of communion as a sinner to be saved. Communion can be a time where we all step up spiritually. Not just a ritual we go through, but a means of grace. But you can't approach the communion table when there's any kind of animosity, hatred, resentment, indifference in our hearts. We must have His love. Even more important than doing love stuff is to be a person of love, a Christ follower who seeks to love like Jesus loves. Forgetting personal preferences, surrendering to Christ, and following His example of loving unconditionally, washing dirty feet, caring for the unlovable, and bleeding from an old rugged cross. As you receive the gifts of communion today, would you commit yourself, with the help of the Holy Spirit, to being a disciple who loves like Jesus loves? Heavenly Father, we hold in our hand this prepackaged communion set, but it contains these tokens that are very meaningful to us. The gifts of communion. The bread represents your body, which was broken for us. The juice represents your blood, which was spilled out for every one of us. You told us to do this in remembrance of you. And you told us to give thanks. You paid the price for our sins. You made a way. You opened heaven for us. And so, Lord, we recognize the amazing love of God. And we recognize the surrender and sacrifice of Jesus. When we take this bread and break it and eat it in remembrance of you. recognize that the life is in the blood and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins in days of old a sacrificial animal gave its blood so that sins could be forgiven 
but Jesus became the Lamb of God and His blood was spilled for our salvation. So we drink this in remembrance of Jesus, giving Him thanks. Let's pray together the prayer that He taught us. and We can say it boldly today. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Praise the Lord.